try that. Well, hey. Um, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm John. It holds true if you do know me as well. Uh, I'm a pastor here at Gospel Church. Uh, let me invite you, if, if you haven't had the chance already, to grab a Bible. I, th- I think we were well served. I saw Charlie handing out more than anyone could possibly need. Um, insofar as anyone could have more of God's Word than they could possibly need. But uh, just take a, take a moment now to flick open. We are going to be looking at that uh, passage in Isaiah 53. Uh, and before we start, also let me just take the opportunity to wish you a Merry Christmas. Uh, this, is, this is our only Christmas service as a church here, so we take the chance right now, you know, uh, traditionally we display Jesus being born at night, so you know, there's the star and whatnot, so an evening service is apt anyway. But uh, Charlie, would you be able to ask mum? I'm just preaching a sermon, okay? Charlie, of the Bible delivery. But having said that, let me pray for us and we'll get into God's Word together. Uh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You are so good and so kind to us that you would lower yourself to come down amongst us, to be with us and for us. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word now, this last time in the, in the year of 2023 as a church, that you would open our eyes to your glory and the wonder of what it is, the incarnation that you came to give yourself as an atoning, substitutionary sacrifice for us. Open our hearts and eyes and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it does not cease to amaze me. Actually, what I probably should say is it should never cease to amaze me, and it's amazing how often it doesn't cease to amaze me, how selfless and how lowly Jesus is. The other day, um, as a family, we were reading in Matthew the account of the angel coming to see Joseph. If you're familiar with the nativity stories, that's one of the ones that tends to get read around this time of year. And, and of course, you know, the story is up to the point, true story is up to the point where Mary is pregnant uh, whilst they are just engaged. And that's a bit of a huge deal, uh, much more of a huge deal than it is today. It's basically synonymous in that day with adultery, and, and adultery at that in that day was a, a punishable crime, sometimes a, a crime punishable with death. So it's a big deal. And that's why it says in Matthew that Joseph was a righteous man because he decided to divorce her quietly. He decided to break things off quietly rather than drag her through what could have been the end of her life, either metaphorically or literally. But then, of course, the angel comes. The angel comes to Joseph and tells him that the baby is from God. And he says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And like, great for Mary and Joseph, right? It's good that they're on the same page now. But for the rest of the community around them, Mary just got pregnant before marriage. Okay? And that's, there's a serious amount of shame to that for for life for them and for that child. At the very outset, this child is born into a situation of unwarranted shame. And I just, 
open with that to say there is such humility, such controversy in the Christmas story that sometimes we just tend to gloss over in our, in our, in our plays and things. And it's important that we don't because that's the context into which God chose to come into the world. Throughout Advent at, at Gospel Church this year, we've been going through uh, seeing the story of the coming of Jesus into the world, uh, the Christmas story, through the words of the servant songs in the prophet Isaiah. Four passages in this prophet, uh, which, which ably we had pointed out for us a few weeks back. The whole thing talks about Jesus, by the way, not just these songs. But these are written some 700 years before Jesus came. And they look forward to the coming of the servant of the Lord into the world. <coughs> and as we've seen, that servant is Jesus. We've seen that in the face of the injustice of this world, Jesus is justice and he is mercy. We've seen that in the face of the darkness of this world, Jesus is perfect light. We've seen that in the face of the rebellion of this world, Jesus comes and he is obedient. And not just obedient, but obedient and compassionate. And finally, we come to the last of the servant songs, the most well-known of them, Isaiah 53, the whole chapter. And it introduces us to what is most central, I believe, to the servant of the Lord. He's not just justice and mercy and light and compassion and obedience. He is the great sacrifice. In the midst of this selfish world, he comes as sacrifice. In chapter 52 of Isaiah, to <coughs> wind us back just a little bit here, uh, chapter 52 was filled with this promise of redemption and of victory for God's people. Uh, it, it says things like this. Isaiah 52.3 says, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money, as a promise for God's people. God's ultimate victory is promised. Thank you. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation and says, and what, what's the good news? What's the salvation? Who says, your God reigns. And what God's victory, God's reign means for God's people was made explicit. It says there in 52 verse 9 to 10, Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Let me just flag one little phrase in there that I just want you to remember. The Lord has bared his holy arm. Just, just pop that in the back there. Keep it for later. So Isaiah 52 builds like it's coming to the great moment of God's victory. The great moment of redemption. When the arm of the Lord will be revealed. 
when his way of revealing his salvation is going to come about. It's going to be seen. It's going to be revealed. And we kind of get to the end of it. And at the end of chapter 52, you could be like, wow, how is God going to do this? How is he going to bring this about? Who is this arm of the Lord character that he's talking about? And and the answer is probably not what they would have expected reading it the first time. and, And realistically, maybe not even what we expect. God achieves his victory. He achieves his redemption for his people through great sacrifice. Uh, As chapter 53 begins, Isaiah asks this question. He says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He's going to describe this saving, mighty, powerful worker of God's redemption, the arm of the Lord. This is what he's going to show us in in chapter 53, having anticipated it beforehand. And first, Isaiah describes the life of the servant, of the arm of the Lord, the life of Jesus. And it's a sacrificial life. He had no form or majesty that we should look on him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. It's important we get this. There's, there's been a, a historical tendency um, that when people paint or draw Jesus, they depict him as this immense beauty, you know, like, like he's a beautiful man, often, often literally shining in the paintings, right? Uh, and, and, you know, who could blame them? We sing songs about it, right? Silent Night speaks of radiant beams from thy holy face. But actually, the Bible's representation is really different to that. We don't actually get a lot of physical descriptions of Jesus, but what we get doesn't lean towards him being uh, uh, dashing. Jesus was not impressive to look at. It says it just here in Isaiah. And actually, as it says here, we, uh, as we see in the Gospels, Jesus was despised. Jesus was despised by those in positions of power, especially as we see in the Gospels. <coughs> in one of the New Testament letters, the Bible describes what happened when God came down, saying, He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is what the life of Jesus is. He empties himself. He doesn't come down shining with light. Certainly he brings light into the world in a much truer way than physically shining. But then, and in the rest of this chapter, in the rest of this song, it really focuses on the heart of the Christmas story. The heart of the Jesus story, the heart of the gospel story having lived a sacrificial life jesus died a sacrificial death taking our place as our substitute isaiah writes this he says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace 
and with his wounds we are healed. All, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of us have strayed, have strayed. None of us deserve anything from God and yet isn't it amazing? We tend to live such selfish, such entitled lives. I don't mean this is a personal offence to you. It's just a general us thing. Kind of like God owes us something. Uh, we, we live in a world full of people who deserve nothing but want everything. But when Jesus came, and he is the one person, like, like here he is, the one guy who actually literally deserves everything. To, to him belongs all glory, the Bible says. He is the image of the invisible God, the Bible said, says. He is the creator of all. Everything is literally his. Everything is made by him and through him and for him. And yet the one who deserves everything, who has everything, surrenders everything to save undeserving people like us. The perfect one deserving of everything is pierced for mine and your transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the staggering reason why we celebrate Christmas, right? That in the face of my selfishness and sin, my injustice and my darkness and my rebellion and my sin, in the face of a world sunk deep in the unwavering choice to continue rebelling against God, knowing the depth of that opposition, both of humanity as a whole and of each and every individual one of us personally, in each moment, Jesus still came. Jesus was born in that lowly stable, put in a feed trough, with great purpose and humility, Jesus lived the perfect and lowly life. And in towering grace, he laid aside his glory. And in our place, in your place, his sacrifice for sin. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, Isaiah says. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, before Jesus came, the death of a lamb was this really significant thing for the people of Israel. Every year, the high priest would sacrifice a lamb at the temple on the Day of Atonement. The point being that the lamb dies. It dies the death that the people deserve. <coughs> and its blood washes away their sin. And yet the New Testament tells us that animal blood could never actually save, but that this sacrifice was an arrow, it was an image pointing forward to the one true sufficient sacrifice, Jesus. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As, a, as I finish tonight, let me, let me leave you with 
the very simple challenge which Isaiah himself gives us in this passage. First one, he asks that critical question, doesn't he? Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The Bible is full of this question. Christmas exists to challenge you with this question. Have you believed in Jesus? And are you believing in him day by day? Are you looking for him? Founder and perfecter of our faith, the, the one true saviour, are your eyes on him? Have you believed in the one who came to bring you redemption and salvation? There is no greater need. We are all, all of us lost in sin and lost in the consequences of sin. But the true story of Christmas is that there is one who came to be your substitute, to, to, to be a sacrifice, to take your place for the wrong that we had done to be a substitute for the wrath that we deserve to be a substitute. And that salvation is received by faith in him. So as you go into Christmas, remember, it's simple enough, the mighty servant of the Lord Jesus, and believe. Would you pray with me? Jesus, your grace is so staggering, such towering grace, such immense love, that God himself would come and be born into this world in lowliness and shame and humility and live a low life and die a sinner's death and rise to give us salvation and life. I pray, Lord, that you would stir faith in each and every one of us. I pray that as we go into Christmas, you would stir our hearts in faith, that we would believe the report that we would trust in the one who came to give himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. I pray it in Jesus' beautiful name.